The Crossman Conversation brought to you today by Community Legal Services, Maynard Cooper, Frontier Partners, by Crossmark Services, and Roto Speaks. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. The Crossman Conversation is hosted by John Crossman. John's heart is to see our community of leaders unite around what we have in common. John will be joined by political leaders, religious leaders, as well as activists making a difference in our nation. Here is your host for the Crossman Conversation, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation. Before we get started, Mike. Yes, hey, John. How are you, sir? I am doing great today. Uh, Just a quick story for you, okay? All right. Now, you know there are certain things in my life that I have great admiration and respect for. Yes. And there's really not much more to me than... Our U.S. military. Uh, the military deserves it. Right. And, and like, you know, my, my dad was in the Army. My grandfather was in the Army. And my grandfather fought in World War I. Wow. I imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, my brain tends to go with Army. And part of the reason why that is, is that I'm terrified to be up in a plane or in a ship. Both those things just crazy <laughs> terrify me. So when I meet somebody who has been a leader in the military, and particularly in something that I think is just blows my mind, I just, I just get so excited about the respect I have for that person. And would you believe today we have a retired Vice Admiral, William Dean Lee, is here with wow. us. All right. Vice Admiral Lee, are you there? I'm here. Well, thank you so much for being on the Crossman Conversation. Do you mind just telling us just a little bit about your, your military background? Can you just give us a quick summary of what you did in the service? Well, real quick, I, uh, I needed a job when I got out of college. Um, and... Uh, I ended up uh, going to officer candidate school, graduated and got my commission in 1981. My intent was to do one tour of duty, get my GI Bill benefits, and then uh, use them, go to law school. Well, <clears throat> 14 tours later, 30, almost 36 years, never went to law school, but I found a uh, career that suited my, uh, my needs extraordinarily well, and I had a great time doing it. That's the, that's the short version. Well, I am so grateful for what you did there in the service that you've done. Um, let me ask you this. Well, when you look over, if you think about all of U.S. military naval history, and you think about like the Barbary pirates and that issue back in the 1800s or uh, being in the Pacific in World War II or anything in between, if you were to go back and participate in some sort of military, U.S. military exercise pre your era, which one, which one would you want to participate in? my era oh it would have to be uh with those guys over in the pacific the navy guys uh, in the pacific it would uh you're now remember now i I am a u.s coast guard i'm not navy Mm -hmm. but you know we're both naval services and what those guys uh did over in the pacific theater was nothing short of extraordinary from a leadership standpoint as well as a tactical standpoint over and is there any certain part of that that stands out to you that, like, gosh, if I was, like, right there watching it happen, like, is it the Battle of Midway? Is it what what in your mind sort of comes to, like, the, to be a part of to see would be amazing to you? You know, it, that's kind of like asking, you know, you know, what what scene would you like to have seen Jesus in? You know, I don't know any of them. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's funny you should say that because I asked that exact question at my Bible study this morning, and I got a lot of answers. So, no, I, I I get that. I get that. I mean, those guys were a different breed, right? It was just a different era. It's just crazy, right? 
It, it was, and Tom Brokaw nailed it. You know, he penned the book, uh, The Greatest Generation, because he had such great admiration and respect for them, and he captured that. And my dad was part of that generation. He uh, he was uh, born in 1919, and when the war broke out in, in 1941, uh, he, like all the other young red-blooded Americans that could serve, ran down to the recruiting office and joined up, and he landed at Normandy went all the way to Berlin with Patton's army, never rose above E6, but he saw more in his few years um, doing that than I saw in almost three and a half decades of service. I, those guys were special, no doubt about it. Over. We had a guy on the show, I mean, I say that, we also had another vice admiral named Brewer was on the show, and he said something that really terrified me, and he, he said to me, John, like, uh, the ocean can flip your ship, right? And so he talked about the terror of just dealing with weather conditions as that being more terrifying than having to deal with uh, an, an enemy combatant. Um, what are your thoughts? How, how are your thoughts on that as far as the, being the Coast Guard and weather issues? Well, <clears throat> I can honestly say I've never been shot at. So I can't speak with any credibility of what the fear associated with being combat. But I can tell you what it's like to be in heavy weather and, and, and not just be a little bit fearful, but also sick at the same time. Oh, I, mean, I don't care who you are. Most people at some point, they're going to you get in the right weather conditions. You're going to be sick and you're miserable and you got all of that going on. And, uh, you know, they say there's there's three stages of seasickness is that uh, that part where you're starting to feel a little woozy. Um, then there's that second stage where you, you know, you're, you're so sick, you're afraid you're going to, you're going to die. And then there's that last stage, which is you're so sick, you're afraid you're not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've had all three of them. All right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've had a tiny taste of that in some, some fishing trips I've done. And I've thought, gosh, if you throw in, Worse than that, plus you're having to do a real job. I just can't even imagine. Just can't even imagine how right. that must be. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, I want to start pushing the conversation. We really want to talk about leadership. Um, you, you started out young, and you were a young man looking up. Let's talk about that first. When you were young and looking up at leaders, uh, who were the people and what, what were the traits of these leaders you looked up to that you really impacted you and you, you valued as you were coming up through the ranks? Well, you know, in the military services, you get exposed to a lot of leaders and, and and consequently a lot of different leadership styles. The ones that I respected most were those that had what I would call a presence about them. I mean, we call it command presence. Hmm. But these were people who, when they spoke, you listened, but it wasn't just because they were loud or aggressive where they had a certain rank on the shoulder it was because they spoke with some authority and some credibility that got your attention you knew that you were really in the presence of a leader without necessarily even knowing what their background was it was just something about them uh if that makes any sense oh listen <laughs> vice admiral lee in preparation for this interview, I watched several videos of you talking, and I found it terrifying. I was sitting at my desk, and I was like, this guy, <laughs> like, I'm really scared, and it's not actually happening. So, no, no, you, you, you have a command presence. No, I get that. But, that is, but you have that. I'm saying what you're saying is you saw that, and like that, that pierced into you of like that's an important characteristic. 
I, I did. I saw it. I respected it. And, and you know, that's not something that they teach in leadership school, but I'm, I, I guess that when you see it, you kind of want to emulate that style to the extent that you are able. You know, to be honest with you, the first real leader that I ever encountered in my life was not in the military. It was my football coach. Hmm. I mean, my, my high school football coach is a man by the name of Jim Rowe, and, and he would he was just – he had that presence. And here's a guy that made us do things we didn't want to do. I mean, who wants to go to two-a-day football practices in August and, and push yourself to the to the limit to your endurance and ability? Uh, the only person you're going to do that for is a leader. And this guy made us want to practice and want to win. And and I took many of that gentleman's sayings with me into my adult life and, and, and used a lot of his tactics with my own folks in a very respectful way. Um, can you give me an I example? Think, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. I, can you give me an example of something he said that you you use without without cursing? I'm kidding, but no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be. Uh, I can give you an example of one of the quotes that, that he gave one time that I've used to, to apply to to people in the in the leadership realm is um you know leadership is is there's a lot of strategy involved in that and that's knowing when to do something that's knowing when to strike and i'll never forget um you know we were on the football field one friday night and um our whistles blew and you know we had a running back that had gotten himself tackled he was making a good run but the problem was he was running sideways right down the line of scrimmage running past these holes that the lineman had opened up. And uh, the coach, uh, he's blowing the whistle, calls time, and he runs it, and he grabs this running back by the face mask. He gets up in his face with the tobacco spittle flying and everything, and he's using some four-letter words. But he basically said, uh, he says, uh, he, he calls him by name, let's just call him Jack. Jack, when you see a blankety-blank hole, run through it. Run through it. And I've never forgotten it because that applies to life. And it also applies to, in my case, you know, I'm a Christian. And, and it's, it's when do you approach somebody with the gospel? You got to wait for the hole to open up, that hole in the line. And you run through that hole. That's your commission. And uh, you, you, know, you can't do it any old time. Pick the time, know when the hole's open, if that makes any sense. Uh, listen, it makes complete sense. We gotta, we're going to take a break in a second. But when you said that, I was just talking to one of my daughters about this about the importance of hospital ministry and prison ministry. Because when people are in crisis, that's when the holes open up and that's when you go through them, right? And so that, that, that is right on point. All right, we're going to take a quick break here with Vice Admiral William Dean Lee and come back and talk a little bit more about leadership. This is the Crossman Conversation. Crossmark Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. 
That's crossmarkservices.com. Managing a team that has a lack of accountability and effective communication can be frustrating. Bill Roto-Rooter can help you build a cohesive team and a collaborative work environment. As a retired commander of the Navy's premier training system and research development organization, Roto has the experience to help you build trust and a high-performing team as you navigate high-pressure situations. To schedule a complimentary call with Roto, go to rotospeaks.com and complete the form and put the Crossman conversation in the message field. Community Legal Services is a civil legal aid organization providing no-cost legal help to the underserved. They call it Legal Aid for All. Their attorneys assist with legal issues related to family law, housing, domestic violence, veterans benefits, and much more. Community Legal Services is a community-supported program. To learn more and help support the mission, visit clsmf.org. That's clsmf.org. Community Legal Services. Legal Aid for all. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally who serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to day to day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit Maynard Cooper. Are you willing to serve communities in crisis around the world to people who are impoverished, oppressed, and persecuted? Frontier Partners International offers mission opportunities in areas least served to meet the needs of the helpless, hapless, and hopeless, and is currently serving earthquake survivors in Syria. Share the love and joy of Christ and give the gift of a hope-filled future to someone in desperate need. Learn more at FrontierPartners.org. That's FrontierPartners.org. Once again, here is John Crossman. All right, we're back here at the Crossman Conversation with Vice Admiral William Lee Dean. Um, Sir, tell me this. Um, We have a lot of our listeners are college age and young professionals, okay? And you look at the world today and issues out there, problems people facing, and I meet young people who they, they want to make an impact. They want to be leaders. What is your advice to them on how they can make an impact on the world? Oh, how can young people make an impact? Well, I would have to say, you know, if I was standing in an in a auditorium full of young men and women who were about to enter the workforce, let's say they're college graduates, um, the first thing I'd tell them is this. is first, When you get out there in the workforce, Pay attention to your leaders. Pay attention to the mission. But before you try to hone your leadership skills, why don't you first try to figure out how to be a good servant? Um, I had a used to have a desk, uh, a little desk plate on my front of my desk in my office. That on the front of it was just my name tag. You know, people. You know, William Dean Lee on the front with the Coast Guard symbol. But behind it. On that back plate, facing me and me only, nobody else could see it unless you walk behind my desk, was my own mission statement that I had printed up years ago to remind me daily of what my real job was. And it said very simply, serve first, lead second, stay humble. Mm. And that's what I would tell any young person. Learn how to serve because you can't lead until you've learned how to follow. Master that. And then the leadership part will become a lot easier because when you're serving the people that work with you and for you, they will make 
leadership easier for you because they'll instead of you having to make yourself look good, they'll make you look good to the boss just by being a good servant leader. Um, and then lastly, the humble part, the higher you go, the more power you get, the more difficult that part is. Because, uh, you know, when you start getting stars on your shoulders um, and you're walking around and you've got this honor rods that's opening doors for you and driving you around and you're flying around on an executive jet sometimes, you can start to get pretty puffed up about yourself. And um, that's why God issued, uh, well, me in particular, a wife, because uh, she could set me straight every evening. I could come home to that big old government uh you know, mansion that they let you live in. And in my case, I was at the Norfolk Naval Base on on Admiral's Row. And I remember one night I'm walking in with my three stars on each shoulder. I'm feeling all proud of myself. I got somebody with me. And my wife meets me at the door, hands me a bag of trash. Says, <laughs> hey, put this in the trash can for you. Before <laughs> you come in. And after that, you know, that litter box ain't been tended to in a while. <laughs> so... If you ain't got somebody in your life that'll keep you straight, you need to get married. That they'll help you. <laughs> Over. So I want to see so you said serve first, lead second, stay humble. Did yeah. I get it right? You got it. And I think that you're right about having people in your life um, that'll that'll shoot straight with you and make sure you stay focused because. Man, um, I, I can imagine having all that around you could get you in a bad space. I also got to think that as you rise up as a leader, you've got to be thoughtful about your word, your words. You know, you can't just say something. I, I mean, when you were in those high, powerful rooms, if you were just like spouting off something, it could cause a real problem. So your discernment must have been really important. Oh, oh, oh. oh what a great question that is, my friend. So look. Here's what I would tell the same crowd. Uh, you need to be one of the greatest, um, uh, you know, I guess, character traits that headhunters, I'm told, are looking for in corporate America when they're looking for people to fill these top-level CEO and CFO spots is, uh, is uh, not necessarily what college you went to or what your GPA is, but they, they actually look for people with keen self-awareness. Mm. All right. Self-awareness. That's critical. And I agree with them on that. Now, I'm self-aware that, um, you know, I'm a you know, we're we're all born either introverts or extroverts and we're somewhere on that spectrum. But we're on one side of that tipping point or another. And I'm I'm I realize I'm extroverted. That doesn't that doesn't always comport into uh, a, you know, a positive character trait, particularly when extroverts have a tendency to say more than sometimes they ought to say. And so I had to learn a long time ago that um, when I'm in front of a crowd speaking, sometimes I'm going to say something that could be taken two ways by members in the audience. And you're not going to, you know, you know how you meant it, but you're not necessarily going to know how they took it. And so more often, a lot of times, I would find out from one of my subordinates afterwards, say, you know, sir, you that comment you made uh, about so-and-so, uh, that offended, uh, you know, petty officers, gooblots. Um, and I would go, oh, my gosh, that's not how I meant it. But the point that I'm trying to drive to is this. Um, 
how do you manage that when you say the wrong thing? Because you're going to. Everybody's going to say something that they that they wish they could have had a, a do-over with, but you don't have it. So how do you manage it? How do you keep your job? And I learned how to you know, master the fine art of grovel early in my career. <laughs> and, and that's where when I found out I had aired with some comment, usually in a feeble attempt to be humorous, mm-hmm. that's generally what it is. You're just trying to be funny, and it's not so funny to that, mm-hmm. that person. I would make it a point to go to their space, to the air, you know, to the boathouse or the hangar or their cubicle, wherever they were on the base. Instead of having somebody send them up to my big old office, which is intimidating, I would go to them knowing full well and hoping full well that their peers would be around them and look at them, reach my hand on, shake the hand and say, you know, sir or ma'am, I, I realized that that thing I said yesterday um, um, offended you, and it's been come to my attention. And I just want you to know that I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And I got forgiven every time. Mm. And that's the thing we all, we you know as leaders, you got to learn how to forgive and ask for forgiveness mm. because both of them are equally important. Mm. Over. And and I imagine you bonded with some of those people uh, in that situation too. Like you asked for forgiveness, they forgave you, and you got closer, right? I think we earn respect when we're willing to humble ourselves and admit our own mistakes because mm-hmm. they see the human come out in you. Because um, God knows we're all full of flaws, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, I would like to be more self-aware of my flaws so that I could, you know, hopefully apologize more often. There's probably been many opportunities there I needed to apologize to somebody where I didn't because I didn't know I needed to. So well, I pray for discernment and self-awareness. Well, you know, when you, to this day, over. When you said that, you know, when you were talking, what jumped to my mind was, and you referenced him earlier, was General Patton. And that he had some struggles with that, that occasionally he would say some things got him into trouble. And it may have limited his career a little bit, you know, because of that. Um, so uh, even with the great ones, they need to know that. So that's awesome. Right. Uh, we've got um, just like two minutes left, um, but I have one final question for you, and that's this. My daughters are 18 and 19 years old. They're exceptional young women. And if they were on this call with us, what I would want you to say to them is, in their life, if they go through, as they go through it, and they bump into veterans, right, any era veteran, what would you want them to be thinking about as they meet people who have served? What, what, what would your advice be to have in their frame of mind when they meet veterans? Well, you know, as trite as this sounds, um, one of the best thing about being a, a member in uniform or that serve, serve, you know, whether you're on active duty or, or you're now retired or, 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 you know, out in the civilian world is that, you know, you don't get paid a lot of money to do what we did. I mean, we make a good living and we got good benefits. I'm not complaining about any of that. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, if you look at the responsibility that you put on uh, the shoulders of men and women in uniform, especially you know, some very young ages also, I mean, I was in charge of some, you know, multimillion dollar units when I wasn't even, you know, in, I was still in my early thirties. Mm. Um, is, you know, and you can't compare the compensation with corporate America. 
But just look at them and say, hey, thank you for your service. Hmm. You don't need to say much more than that. Thank you for your service because we we still love to hear that. Uh, that has a tangible um, effect on people. And, you know, you don't have to get into it any deeper than that. And sometimes they want to talk to you about it, and you might regret asking. <laughs> but, but in any event, you know, because you might not have an hour or two to listen to it. Yeah. But at least thank them. Over. I, I appreciate that. Well, thank you uh, for all of your service, and thank you for you're continuing to do things. I appreciate doing the show. You've done other stuff. You've been available and you seem to be always at the ready to provide wisdom and counsel. And I'm, I'm just grateful for your life and all you continue to do. So thank you. Well, can I conclude with one thing here? Why, you, 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 I know you don't necessarily want to put this on the air, but um, I saw a leader in our state here. I'm in North Carolina right now. I live in Virginia, but I'm down here visiting. But I saw the lieutenant governor of the state of North Carolina the other day. Um, making a speech somewhere, and and the first thing out of his mouth, and this is a politician, he says, first thing before I get into any of this other stuff, he says, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where I'm at. Hmm. I am grateful to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for giving me the opportunity to do what I got to do. Um, Because he put me on a different path than the one I thought I was going to go. You know, I started out to be a lawyer, ended up as an admiral. Um, I never, ever would have thought myself worthy of doing that. The Lord led me and gave me those opportunities, and I will be forever thankful for that. I you guys s- have a great day. No, no hey, I have to respond to that. I have to respond to that. Uh, my short response would be ditto. Um, I, uh, uh, my faith in uh, Jesus Christ is that the center of everything I am and all who I'm about, and it's it, it permeates every decision I make. And... I wouldn't be alive. I, I, 100%, I would not be alive if it weren't for my relationship with Christ. So I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate you bringing it up, and I affirm it, and uh, I, I feel the exact same way. So thank you. Well, if you, if you have time for another session in the future, I want you to think about pulling that thread, man. Talk about, to me or some other act, or, you know, retiree, about, how the military services are making it harder and harder for men and women of faith to practice their faith while in uniform. You will be getting a serious issue. You'll be getting a text very soon, my friend. (laughs) Very soon. All right. Well, thank you for being the show. This is the Crossman conversation with Vice Admiral William Dean Lee. Uh, Thank you for being a part of it. And as always support your local HBCU. This has been Crossman conversation. Produced by a Crossman Career Builders Mark Radio Production.